Well, welcome everybody. It's good to be in church today, celebrating baptisms and communion and worship with with other people. If you're at home uh, today, I want to say hello to Bill. I think, Bill, you're watching this service. And Donna. Donna, I think I saw your husband here earlier. I think you're watching this service. There are so many of you that are at home. We love you. We miss you. You might be brand new and you're at home. We don't know you yet, but we want to get to know you. And hello to everyone that's in the room today. You doing all right in the room? Everyone? And nobody take pictures of this. There are too many people in this room. I don't, I don't know. This is scary. So no taking pictures of this and posting it, y'all. I, I, it's great, though, to be together and to be worshiping together. And we're, gonna, we're diving into Nehemiah chapter 2. But I want to start off by saying happy Valentine's Day. There. Happy Valentine's Day. We did it. Okay. Moving on. Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm pumped about this because I think God's got something for all of us in this text. We did Nehemiah chapter one last week, and I'm gonna we're just we're we're gonna like like really go like verse by verse through this chapter. But first, I've got to just admit something up front. There is this term in our vernacular that we are obsessed with. We're enamored to a point of I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm personally uncomfortable with the term. The term is thank you, Alston. Everybody give it up for Austin. He's rocking it today on a guitar. Appreciate that. Here's the term. The term is leadership. Leadership. This is actually, when you look at the course of human history, this is a new word. Jesus talks about, Jesus talks about servanthood. When, when you look at all the themes, the actual words in the Koine Greek that Jesus is talking about, he talks about servant. And so every time someone says leadership, I try to put it through a Jesus filter, which is real leadership, and Jesus' filter is servanthood. This word that's kind of new to us, we've written 40,000 titles. There are 40,000 books on leadership. Of those books, 20,000 of them are written by Christians, for Christians, you know, kind of like the soup that people that are Judeo-Christian mindset swim in. So it's, it's safe to say that as Christians, if anyone's around Christians or no Christian, like Christians have this kind of obsessive view at times of leadership. When Jesus showed up and Jesus talked about servantship, Jesus modeled servantship. Now, nothing really wrong with the term. I, I believe that all of us, that we are all uniquely crafted and made for leadership. Because when I say leadership, I mean servantship. You're made for it. You have been preemptively placed in a position that might seem ordinary to you, that God is waiting for a moment to make it extraordinary for his agenda, which is Jesus the Son glorified, that people would come and connect to him. So simply put, this series, Made for This, I would tell you that you're made for here. You are made for here. Church, you're made for it. You're made for it. Everything about the way God designed you to desire community. I just saw, I, I can always tell the introverts in the room because when I say community, they're like, ugh, right? They just shake a little bit, right? Like I hit a nerve. Co like COVID has been good to you introverts. I'm just gonna say, right? You're like, I can't be around people. It's not rude not to talk to people. I love this, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in community with one another for eternity and will. You're made for church. You're made for connection with God and his creation. Now, before 
our society got enamored with the term leadership. There were other terms. Somewhere around the turn of the century as the Industrial Revolution is picking up steam, organizations are growing at a standpoint where they need servanthood leadership, right? They need someone to come in, serve the greater organization, but leadership wasn't a, a term that we had kind of gravitated to at that time. They had a different word then. The word was administration, Administration was the buzzword. Everyone wanted to be an administrator. Schools had people that ran them. They were called administrators. We put business degrees and named these degrees that people spent money on and worked for years for to get. And I'll tell you, we kind of had a fascination with this word. You can see it because people go and they work really hard for an MBA, a master's in business administration. And we tried that for a while. And we kind of got the same results that we got with the words that came before administration. And so we went looking for a new word. The 70s and 80s are like, we need a new word to give us new results. And the word that we came up with, management. Management is where, and we actually took administration in organizations and we lowered those positions. Those were, well, there was not, not at the top, there were less positions, right? And management was the term. This is where Dwight Schrute needed to live, right? The assistant to the regional manager. This is where Dwight wanted to be. Management was the buzzword. And you know that this is true because we had education entities called Graduate School of Business Management. And after a couple of decades, we realized that the vernacular, the nomenclature of management wasn't getting the results we wanted either. And here for the last couple of decades, we've been enamored with leadership. We can change the words all we want. Management, administration, leadership. But the results, we continue to end up with the same thing, is that left to our own devices without the spirit of the living God in us directing our lives, we're going to probably screw things up, okay? Here's what you were made for. It's not a new catchword or a new book that you need to buy on seven highly habits of effective whatever. It's this. You were made for faith. You were made for faith. A thriving faith, a faith that is moving mountains in your life, a faith that is clearing obstacles out, a faith that's got you on a mission, a faith where you can say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God of all eternity and creation and the universe uniquely designed me to be alive at this point in time to do this thing. And he's, he's gifted me with everything I need to do this one thing. A faith that affirms that, a faith that allows other people to look at it and say, I know in my knower that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're called by God to be there. You were made for this. You were made for faith. Nehemiah chapter two is what I'm gonna read. We're gonna kind of walk through this. Here's Nehemiah chapter one. I'll sum it up very quickly. He finds out, Nehemiah, he's a cup bearer to the king. He's a position of influence because of his proximity to Artaxerxes, this ruler over a Persian empire. In that position, he finds out that Jerusalem the, the land of his forefathers, the place where his ethnic group of the Jews had worshipped for hundreds of years, given to them by God. It is lying in ruin. It's destroyed. He's hurt by this. He takes about a four-month period to cry out to God. And then we begin chapter 2. Here's what happens in his journey of faith. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. 
So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? You're made for faith. You're made for a faith journey. You might feel like you're in a place of ordinariness, but God has placed you there preemptively for a moment of extraordinary. But God's designs on that extraordinary moment come with God's agenda. God's agenda is that the Son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and men would connect to him so that they can live forever in heaven with God. That's the agenda of the Father, of his placement of you in what you might call ordinary. Nehemiah, I mean, he, he, he had a pretty, pretty cool job, pretty, pretty good proximity to a king that could make a change happen here. But here's what Nehemiah had to do. Here's what we all have to do. We have to wait for it at times. You're made for faith, but you have to wait for it. You're made to lead. You're made to grow. You're made for it extraordinary. You've been put in this preemptive place for a moment to make a difference, but that is going to take this. It's going to take faith. It's going to take, as we say at home, knowing in your knower, deep down inside, that God has called you to a task. He's going to equip you for that task. But that season of waiting is a season that everyone in God's word went through. God showed up in people's lives in the ordinary all throughout it after they'd gone through a season of waiting. Mark chapter 9, verse 23 are the words of Jesus. Jesus himself says this as he is preaching. He says, everything is possible for one who believes. Jesus says again in Matthew 17, 20, talking about our subject of faith. Because you have so little faith, I tell you, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And Jesus brings this issue of faith and your faith journey. And he's like, you're, this is what you're made for. You need this in your life to move the obstacles that are in front of you right now that you're just angry at, that you're sad about, that you're overwhelmed by. Here's what we have to do, though. It's in the very next verse. If we just walk through this, it's so cool how God's word just lays out roadmaps for us. You've got to ask for it. This faith that you're made for, you've got to ask for it. Sometimes you ask God. Sometimes you ask people in positions of authority. Here's what happens in Nehemiah's life. Verse 4. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleases the king to send me. So I set the time. I also said to him, the point here is you got to ask. I mean, he's pushing in. He got the answer I can go, but he's going to ask for some more things. He says here in verse 7, May I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so they'll provide me safe conduct, conduct until I arrive in Judah? May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make my beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy? 
I love this last part of the verse here. Ears up, listen to this. He says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. You were made for faith, but you've got to ask for it. Some of us don't ask God for anything because we look at people in God's word that have asked for things and we see what their life turns out like and we're like, I don't want any of it. Maybe you've been around church for a while and you've heard some of these horrifying stories that we tell the children right now back there, right? Jonah was swallowed by a whale for three days. And Noah cried out to God and he got to be on a boat with only his family and every cat species known to mankind. No, I'm not going to ask God for anything. Every time someone's at, someone comes and asks God for something, their life starts to go crazy. Yeah, that's kind of true. But then Jesus is glorified and lifted up and people connect to him and eternity has changed forever. They go hand in hand. I think there's times where God the Father is waiting on us to come and ask because if we don't ask and it happens, some, something happens to where, you know, the seas part and you're like, oh, my faith is real. And like, you kind of walk through it and all the way through, you're thinking, was this God or was this just because I'm a smooth operator, right? And God wants to be really clear. There are, there are times where we don't have a growing, vibrant faith for this one reason. We've not done what Nehemiah did. Just ask for it. Ask God. But there are times where you've got to ask people of influence. There, there is a boss. There is someone that has control of something. There's a person in authority somewhere and you've got to go to them and say, hey, can I have this? You know what? There's a lot of teaching in here. The queen's sitting right there. I love the first thing he does is he prays a quick prayer. The king's like, hey man, why are you sad? And the first thing is he's like, God help me. Because the king could say, off with your head, right? That's what some kings say. But in the opposite of what happens here, the king says, well, man, how long are you going to be gone? He has conducted himself in his place of the ordinary with consistency, right? With diligence, with integrity, so much to the point where the king says, I care about what you care about, but I also want you back on my life. He didn't look at the queen and was like, this is the time that we can offload this loser. Like just play our cards right. And he is gone. No, they're like, we want you back. And I, are you dwindling away a level of authority that you could have in your place of, of ordinary right now by the way that you're handling it? And God's like, I want to make your ordinary extraordinary, but I can't because you're being lazy in your place of ordinary. And I will not allow you to be exalted so that I can be exalted because you are screwing up your ordinary. We, we're made for faith, but we've got to ask for it. Sometimes we ask God. Sometimes we ask people that don't know God. I, don't, don't forget what it says here in the word of God. Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Here's the next thing. You're made for faith. You got to wait for it. You're made for faith. You got to ask for it. But you're made for faith that challenges other people. You are made for faith, a faith that challenges other people around you. This is what you're truly made for. If you're not doing that, there's a disconnect in your life and somehow there's a discomfort, there's an uneasiness. And with people, how are things going? You can't say great because it's not great because you're made for faith that challenges other people. Here's what happens in Nehemiah's life. I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. I gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers and 
cavalry with me. He's got an entourage. He's going to the Palestine region. There are other city-states in the Palestine region. City-states that serve the emperor of the empire of Persia, but they also have got their own little cheese kingdom right there, right? And they like how things are in their kingdom. They like being top dog. Matter of fact, the trans-Euphrates kind of group of city-states had recently, within the last few years, rebelled against the Persian empire. These are people like, they're trying to keep him down. He's got letters, he shows up with men. Here's what happens in verse 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, they just sound like wrestler names, right? You see guys, you see they got big belts, they're all oiled down. That's what I'm picturing, I don't know. Probably shouldn't have mentioned that. Okay, here's what it says to these guys. When they heard about this, they were very much disturbed, key in on this, that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Man, when you show up in some place in your life to promote the name of Jesus Christ, people are going to be disturbed. You can show up to feed people. You can show up to do good works. You show up to do good works in the name of Jesus Christ, people are going to have a problem. Do all the good you want. Do it in the name of Jesus Christ. That's going to be, there's there's a form for that. There's a form before the form and three taxes on the form, okay? They're going to use everything they can to stop you from whatever that is. Here's what it says in verse 11, though. I went to Jerusalem. After staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was on. By night. I went through the valley gate toward the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate, the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. He's got men with him. He's got letters with him. He's got the king's permission to do this. He's setting out to really do something that's kind of above what it would be his problems in life. Something to bring back the, the honor of Jerusalem. The, the temple's already been built by Ezra. He's rebuilding the walls. If you're going to do what you're made for, if you're like, I, I really want to do what I'm made for in my, this life, you're going to challenge some people. and There's just going to be conflict. That's just all there is to it. And you probably learned that on the playground. There are people in this life that if you don't say what you're made for and find out what you're made for, they're going to tell you. They are happy to tell you every day of your life until you die what you're made for. And you'll miss what you're really made for. And many of us are afraid to start that journey of faith to find out what we're made for because of fear. And so people are just directing our paths for us. You were made for faith, and that faith will challenge other people. There's no way around it. I, I had a person this week um, boldly tell me where the church should be operating business. They said, you know, the church is made for this. The church is made for the seats on Sunday morning. You can sing some songs, and you can tell them about Jesus, whoever shows up. But past that, you have no business opening gyms, 
opening schools, doing coffee shops, doing sports outreach. You have no business with any of those things. You get Sunday morning. In the book of Proverbs, there is a character. The main character of the book of Proverbs is a woman. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but it's a woman who is named Wisdom. Wisdom is the star, the central character all throughout the book of Proverbs. And there is not a, there is not a piece of human activity or huma- humanity experience that is not discussed in the book of Proverbs. The woman of wisdom has authority and influence in the marketplace in the book of Proverbs. In education, in family life, in politic. There is no place where the person of wisdom, the Holy Spirit of the living God, cannot go and speak into in the book of Proverbs. It is the voice of the old enemy that says, you get somewhere on Sunday morning and you keep it there and you only get people to come to you. We must rebuke that voice. We have to rebuke that voice. There are people in your life that will tell you, you, you're not made for that, you're made for this. You get over there and you stay over there. And if the spirit of the living God is telling you, no, I'm going to put you over here for a place of extraordinary that is yet to come. And you need to occupy that ordinary with integrity and consistency so that when that moment of extraordinary comes, the glory goes to Jesus Christ. If that's what's happening, you have to rebuke that old voice of the old enemy because he wants to do nothing but put you in a place where he can control you. And he is adamant about the name of Jesus not being lifted up. When we say he has no rival, he has no equal. And heaven is roaring. Man, it's not just roaring in here. It's roaring everywhere you guys drive your cars this week. The kingdom of God has influence in those places. It's just so you know, interesting fact, the, the citadel of David that kind of runs down to the valley of Kishon there on Mount Moriah, it's about a 30-acre plot right there where Nehemiah is building these walls. If you were to walk outside of our church and just kind of look around the boundaries, that's, that's the city walls. That's about the size of the city walls of the city that he is building these walls up and around. You're made for a faith that challenges others, but you're made for a faith that produces fruit. Here's what God's word says in verse 16, the fruit that happens. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others that would be doing the work. Then I said to them, do you see the trouble that we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been burned with fire. Come on, let us build the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. They're like, you can do it, (laughs) right? That's what they said. They're all in. I'm gonna tell you, here's here's the theme in God's word. And Jesus, uh, his brother James wrote it. Faith without works is dead. You are called to faith. You are saved by grace of Jesus. He paid it all. It's free to you. It cost him everything. Salvation in the name of Christ Jesus is a free gift of grace to you. But everyone that is saved and has a faith that is alive does good works and deeds. So if your faith is doing nothing to advance the kingdom of God and you have no priorities that are about the kingdom of God, then I'm going to raise a warning flag to you today and say this. Maybe you have a dead faith. Well, 
Okay, preacher, tell me where I'm supposed to go today. I can't do that. That is the work of the spirit of the living God. We have people all the time say, well, someone would just tell me. We, we can't tell thousands of people what they're supposed to be doing in this one local body expression of the Christ. It is the spirit of the living God that's already told you what you're supposed to be doing, and you don't want to do that, so you come and ask me for a job. Stop it. Listen to the spirit of God. He's better at equipping the church. Jesus builds the church, not men. And he has fully equipped the church with everything that the church needs. And you are God's plan for the people in your life that don't know him. It's not a program that we have that's got a really cool video. We can't make any more videos. We're videoed out. You don't need a video to love people. We're made for faith that produces fruit. Here's the last point. The last part of this text, verse 19. Last part of chapter two. You're made for faith that results in persecution. You're like, man, that's a bummer of a point to end on. It's like, it's Valentine's Day, man. Come on, you should have been doing something on love. Now, here's what God's word says to you. Um, there are plenty of people that lie to you. I'm gonna tell you the truth because I'm gonna stand accountable for it. You're made for faith that results in persecution. Verse 19, when Sanballat, he's gotta be of the Horonite because that's just not a really you know, tough name. Sound ballot, the Horonite, makes it a little tougher. Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right to it. Boom. This is like the Perry Mason moment. He's like, got you, like zinger. If you don't understand what kind of a zinger this is, this is a zinger of all zingers. This shuts the argument down. He's like, you want to know what? All of you naysayers, all you haters are going to hate. All of you people that are disturbed that God is acting through the faith of us and we're doing something for the glory of Jesus Christ. Here's what you have about this right here. You've got no claim to it. You've got no historic claim to it. You've got no ethnic claim for God's people to be here. Like, this isn't yours. You've got no spiritual claim to it. Some of us, truly, in this room, we have not been asking for faith, and we don't have a growing faith. We don't have a faith that's been challenging people. And we don't have a faith that's causing persecution to happen to us. Because we've not stood up and said, hey, this thing that God's called me to do, you have no claim to it. You got no historic claim to it. You got no spiritual claim to it. You got no territorial claim to it. It's for God's son, Jesus, who's going to be lifted up. And my ordinary, he will make it extraordinary when he's good and ready. Stop complaining about your ordinary. Do you know that there's a difference in God's word between trials, which our faith is supposed to produce, and troubles? I've been in trouble before. Anyone ever been in trouble before? Raise your hand high if you're proud of trouble. You've been in trouble. Okay, half of you are liars. You're in trouble right now for lying in church. Like, I'm not... Not ready. You've been in trouble. You've been in trouble. See, trouble's different than trials. Trouble is something that happens when we sin against God's word and then there's consequences. And you might be walking around right now, it's like, well, I'm going through another trial. No, you're going through a trouble that happened in your life because of sin that you won't repent of. Quit calling it a trial. A trial is something that happens when you're living your life by faith and you're telling the enemy, you got no claim to this. 
You got no jurisdiction to this. This is for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is for kingdom advancement. Stay away. And then the enemy comes in and the enemy starts to persecute you with people saying, hey, you are not made for that. Hey, you can't do that. Hey, you're not supposed to do that. They start to put trials in your life. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of any kind, because those trials are ultimately going to result in the maturing of your faith. James chapter one, verses one through three. So yeah, here's what I wish upon you, trials. Because I want you to mature as believers. We gotta step back a little bit and kind of zoom out on the agenda of Jesus. I, I believe that there are moments when the saints gather like this you're at home and we're all gathered together spiritually. And Jesus is like, okay, don't like preach the word truth. Like make let's, let's, let's everyone gather around truth. And the spirit of God moves in this room. It says the spirit of God will lead you to truth. This is what the spirit does. The spirit comes like, that's true. Are you listening? You getting that? You getting that? And I believe that Jesus is like, okay, that's a, that's a good truth. It's truth. But there is, there is a truth that is the, the, great, the greatest truth. The greatest truth is that Jesus has an agenda. Jesus has a kingdom agenda. And there's a part of this whole series that's very consumer driven. You're like, ooh, we're gonna talk about leadership. I need some of that. May I get a little nugget? Something that can help me at work. You know, it's like, we start talking about faith and you're like, I've got faith, right? And these terms, oh my goodness, these terms. If you've got the wrong definition of these terms, you're in trouble. Because Jesus' agenda, and I think the truth that he wants us to know about right now is he cares about the bride. One church, one baptism, one faith, one beautiful bride. That's what the church is called, the bride. And he's coming back for the bride. Here's a list of things he's not coming back for. Really well-run organizations. Profitable businesses. He's not coming back for that. How about this one? I'm going to get serious. Good families. He's not. he's not. He's not coming back for a list of people on a family. He's coming back for the family. Those who have said, I believe that he is the son of the living God. I accept him as my personal savior. They've been baptized into a grave to identify with him in his death so that we might all as the church identify with him in our resurrection on the coming day of the Lord. He is coming back for that. So if you want to build your family, you better be building your family into the kingdom of God or you're just wasting time. It is one thing that he comes back for. Man, we had a, my son married into a family in the last year. And so I went to a family funeral this week. Yesterday. This was my daughter-in-law's great-grandmother, Ganell. Ganell Coleman. 99 years old. Seen a video of her playing at Sunshine Christian Home, organ and keys, just like at Thanksgiving, rocking it. Her fingers are like bent the wrong ways and she still figured out, she relearned piano with fingers that are 99 years old. Like when you learn piano twice. I sat there yesterday. Jennifer's like, I'm like, she's like, you cry? I'm like, yeah, I cried. She's like, well, you cried at stoplight, so you cry. Okay, I did. You know, they, they had preacher after preacher, after preacher, get up and talk about how Ganell just loved the church. I mean, just loved it. Her husband, Bob, 
was a senior pastor. They served at First Christian Church Clearwater for years and years and years and years. And every single person that got up, person after person, they said, she, you know what she loved? She loved the church. She loved the church. Get this. My job, our job, your job is to have a focus of this world that understands that there matters more than here. There matters more than here. And Jesus cares about the party that's gonna happen there and connecting people to him so they'll be there. And this blows my mind. Ganelle today looks like she's like, I think 23 years old. I saw a picture of her. And I think she's running around and everyone's like, you're here, you're here, you're here. And saints are celebrating her home. And I look at some of us and sometimes the things I do with my life and I don't have a made for faith agenda. I've got a made for other things agenda and I'm wasting time. Don't waste your life because there matters more than here. And some of us are working a whole lot on stuff here that will not matter. And you're gonna get to heaven and you're gonna be sad. Because you are made for here. The enemy is telling you right now, you're made for this success and you're made for this poster and you're made for this Instagram life and you're, you're not. It's a lie and it's ruining your life. You're made for faith and there is more important than here. Dear friend, store up treasures there. You are made for faith. Lord Jesus, would your spirit speak to us just right now in this room? Oh God, I know someone, some of us are scared to, to ask for faith or to have a vibrant faith journey. And we don't, we don't want the problems that Nehemiah had. Oh, but look at what, help us see what we're forfeiting. Help us see the, the glory that you're calling us to. And Jesus, would you take our, our places of ordinary and would you preemptively start to set them up for places of extraordinary? And would you be lifted up in those places and would people come to know you as their Lord and Savior so that when we get home, it will be a day of celebration because there matters more than here. The only thing that matters here is how many people we can take with us there. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.